The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 707. I keep wanting to accidentally say 600, but we're in the 700s now. I got to get used to that. Uh, talking about all the latest PlayStation news releases and more uh, right here on IGN and YouTube. Uh, of course, you can also find us on all your favorite podcast services. And why am I doing the end of the show now? Well, because we're ending the show right now. It's the quickest episode in Beyond history. Uh, <laughs> no, we actually have quite a bit to talk about this week. I'm joined this week by Brian Altano. Hey, what's up, Beyond? Beyond, Lucy O'Brien. Hi. Hello from New Zealand. Hello, Lucy. And Max Scoville. I'm also in New Zealand. I moved all of my dolls and things there, and I'm also in... I know I'm not. Hi. <laughs> it's an incredible one-to-one that you were able to do from your, your previous home, so congratulations on that. Uh, but no, Lucy, thank you for joining us in quite a different time zone and uh, through your internet wife, or your uh, hotel internet, to be here. Yeah, it's actually doing quite well. I thought it was going to... I'm in Christchurch. I'm in mandatory quarantine, so that's why if you're watching this on video, uh, my background looks extremely different. Um, to my usual white nothingness. Um, yeah, I'm in quarantine. The uh, the internet is holding up okay, uh, but fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes, we'll we'll see what happens. And so if you if you hear any or see any technical difficulties as the show uh, goes on, please bear with us. Uh, but yeah, we have quite a bit to talk about this week. Uh, we're gonna get to the I think biggest PlayStation news of the week in just a second. But I do want to briefly just follow up on last week's episode, where of course we talked a little bit about. The whole uh, Kojima conspiracy that is uh, Blue Box Studios and Abandoned, we don't think it is actually Kojima. Uh, but anyway, they were supposed to put out a trailer app for their horror game Abandoned the day after we recorded our episode. Uh, of course, we were saying, unless it gets delayed, and lo and behold, it did get delayed until August. Um, it got delayed the day it was supposed to go up, which, like, not the best timing to communicate that when all eyes are on you. But uh, communication about this game has definitely been uh, not one of its highest points, uh, suffice to say. Um, I, I think I mostly wanted to bring this one up to one. Uh, something we didn't mention on the show that I think a few people I saw in the YouTube comments mentioning was that, oh, PlayStation is giving all this game backing, though, so it has to be a big thing. Um, there was a PlayStation blog post, and they're creating this trailer app, not PlayStation. Um, there are a lot of games you probably have never heard of that also had PlayStation blog posts that you just don't remember. 
Um, and, and like that is a very more a more common thing. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, though, maybe about the the barrier to entry to do so for that. Um, but it is a thing that doesn't guarantee that Sony is funding this game in any way. So I just want to put that out there. Um, I had a question. Did they uh, did they put up a trailer for the trailer app? Not yet. No, I, I mean, I, if I'm going to download an app, I got to know what I'm getting in for, you know? Exactly. They put up a short film of a man describing why you couldn't watch the trailer app for two more months, despite it being supposed to launch that day, which is like, I feel like they, it's, it's, it's incredibly poor taste. I'll just flat out say that, but to not uh, communicate that earlier and to do that the morning of, I mean, there were people being like, what time do you think it goes live? 9 a.m.? Or what about, you know, uh, midnight uh, New Zealand time or whatever? And they're like, no, it's just not going to be here for two months. Like, how did they not know until that morning that it wasn't going to be ready for two more months? That's kind of insane. Yeah, it I was... I feel like I want to see a documentary behind this whole, like, thing. It just mm -hmm. feels like everyone has been scrambling. There have been so, so many sort of threads of miscommunication and... Yeah, I I would love to hear. It's very it's very you know Trump ends up at the landscaping thing. <laughs> it's, it's got it's, it's got it's got that vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's in a strange scenario where, like, I certainly feel for the dev who didn't expect all of these eyes on them in a way that is questioning their own existence. Like, th mm -hmm. this is definitely a guy who for weeks now has been told, you're not real, you're an actor. And that probably grates on a person. I can very much, like, understand and sympathize with that. But I also, I agree with you, Brian. Like, this was definitely something they probably had to have known before the minute they were going to launch. Yeah. And, and knowing how many eyes are on them, they should have just said couple days ahead hey we have to push this even more um it's it's a weird case and a weird scenario and obviously when that trailer app if it ever goes live at this point we'll we'll keep an eye on it if it doesn't just become a normal trailer they put up at some point on youtube but we'll wait, wait, so hold on, hold on so would yeah. you say it's it's a some sort of a playable teaser don't you start. Don't, they're going to think you're Kojima now. You know who's behind this, don't you? It's the Patriots and the Lale Lule Lolos. They're, they're doing it again, and all information is fake, and you can find out more on the Death Stranding subreddit. Uh, this is going to get picked up on the subreddit for sure. Um, no, but I will say, in terms of the whole uh, Silent Hill conspiracy aspect of it... Uh, I would look more toward the agreement that we saw pretty uh, recently, uh, AK this morning as we're recording, that Konami has partnered with Bloober Team, uh, the team behind the Medium and, and other various horror games, uh, to, to work together in a partnership. And I don't know, Konami really doesn't seem to have a ton of horror franchises to pull from, uh, that a first-person horror and third-person action horror, uh, you know, studio might want to work on. I mean, we've, you know, we've talked about this for a long time. Like, I remember talking about, like, whether or not Bluebird should tackle Silent Hill, like, several, several episodes back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This has been a thing that they were rumored to be doing for quite some time. And this just feels like the official announcement of the partnership. So that when they announce mm -hmm. the game later, it's not, like, totally out of the blue. I hope it's an observer pachinko machine. And we're, to, we're all wrong, you know? <laughs> I will point out that like the sort of like uh, ethical concept of Bomberman is scary. Like the sure. I, that idea of sort of 64 identical men trying to kill each other with ex explosives is, you know, theoretically a dark um, prospect. In a very so small that, that contained be, environment. I think a lot of yes. people have been asking for a first person Castlevania where you don't have a whip or anything, you know, mm -hmm. just you have to, you know, <laughs> survive all those bats and stuff by yourself. 
Where, yeah, where Simon Belmont just walks around and just slowly mumbles about how bad things got. Yeah, you got to hold the right trigger to peek inside a wall, see if there's chickens in there, you know? <laughs> there used to be food here. Uh, we, yeah. we, we can only hope all our game design dreams come true. But yeah, that, that to me at least feels like if you're looking for an actual, like, fire behind the smoke that feels like probably a better place to look than so there was a lot of backlash about this because i think that people don't really like um or they don't think that bloober is sort of like the team that should be there for silent hill um i i'll you know devil's advocate give them a chance like see what they're capable of doing i have a feeling they'll staff up and um they'll be able to do something new also it's been such a long time since we've had like a traditional silent hill game even pt wasn't really a traditional silent hill game although it was you know um sort of one of the most brilliant horror experience we've seen in this medium no pun intended but uh i i enjoyed the medium for the most part uh i think that blair blair witch like had a lot of really cool stuff going on for it it was kind of an almost they did a phenomenal job of building um mood in that game and i think that that's one of the things i think of first when it comes to silent hill uh it's also like that you know that that's a franchise that's kind of in disarray and has been for a while like there's dlc for dead by daylight there's the silent hill collection which uh is a, a bad port and the only real way to like kind of revisit those games it's also still 30 bucks which is annoying I, I went to peep that this morning to see if i could just like jump back in and replay those games because it's been so long and i was like i don't know if i want to spend 30 dollars on you know two games from several generations ago but uh this is apparently not the only Silent Hill game being worked on right now. There's also a VR one. Um, and there's also these rumors that like a Japanese studio is working on one of the games. So I don't know if like Bloober is making a VR Silent Hill, if a Japanese studio like that. We got some answers here, but I feel like there's also, you know, this spirals off into more directions and then whatever the hell the yeah. abandoned thing is. So but, yeah, I, I completely just want to add to that, um, that, you know, I don't really care who handles a silent, a new Silent Hill game, as long as it's not like an homage. Like I want it to be an interesting development and evolution for that series. Like mm -hmm. I, my, I guess my one fear with you know having a Western developer attached because we have seen previous Silent Hill games with Western devs attached, and it always felt a little bit like, yeah, like an homage. Like they were just trying to sort of recapture something that was very organic in the first place, and and not really evolving it at all. Um, and, you know, what was so exciting about PT was that Kojima seemed to be taking it in a very new direction. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we're getting, like, I'm, ex I'm excited whenever anyone is talking about Silent Hill because I love that series, but at the same time, like, I, I'm really hoping to see some evolution there. Yeah, yeah I mean, isn't it? Go, oh, go for it, Jonathan. I was just going to say, yeah, I was speaking to your point of, like, there, there are reports, I think Video Game Chronicles had the report, as they've previously been reporting on Silent Hill, that, yeah, there seemed to be, other projects in the works and so i think like to your point that it's a bit of a like what is the identity of silent hill i think konami is trying to figure that out too and it seems like the yeah. answer is probably going in a few directions and we might see what sticks and that kind of ends up being the future of what this franchise is you know what's not silent i'll tell you hundreds of chrome balls rattling through a pachinko machine but why not try a new direction for that quiet quiet franchise the loud mountain of pachinko coming up from Konami. <laughs> I mean, they we make, they make like they make pachinko machines. It's a yeah. joke, but I'm just saying they do that. No, yeah, it could. No, I mean, no. hey, we can get a Silent Hill water bottle and treadmill machine or whatever else Konami's strange right. business. No, I mean, like they 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 have they are the keepers of some of the most beloved video game franchises ever that are all sort of 
in limbo right now. Like it's mm -hmm. it's such a bummer. I mean, watching like the Metroid Dread stuff out of E3, I was kind of sitting there being like, where's where's Castlevania? You know, like there was yeah. and I've mentioned this before, but like and I don't think I realized how good I had it in the moment or us Castlevania fans had it in the moment. But there was a couple years there where we were getting a brand new just really awesome 2D Castlevania game across the GBA and the DS for years. We got like six of them and they're, they're great. They hold up tremendously well. They're, they haven't figured out how to port them to modern consoles or make a collection. They aren't fast-tracking sequels or anything. There is, uh, in a couple territories, in a Castlevania Advance collection has been rated by, by a Ooh. couple ratings board. So I, I am hoping that those are getting ported to at least PC, but hopefully consoles too. Me too. I, I always love wanted to, to see what they PS5. look like, you know, just on a screen with lights that come out of it. So you yeah, can actually see the games. Yeah. Um, I had the worst Game Boy, like, plug-in light frame. Oh, I had that. Yeah, just to be able too. to actually see those games. But yeah, they're phenomenal. It is a, a very strange case, and I, I think we're going to keep covering it, uh, obviously, as we hear more officially. But I, I just want to follow up on that as we did spend a little bit of time on Abandoned last week. Um, this episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, moving to a game that isn't abandoned at all and has in fact been acquired uh, to pick up another A name, uh, Returnal, uh, the devs behind Returnal Housemark have been officially uh, acquired by PlayStation. They are now an official part of the PlayStation Studios family uh, of studios. So they join obviously first party teams like Naughty Dog and Bend and Sucker Punch, uh, Insomniac and whatnot. Um, it's really awesome to see Sony pick them up. Uh, alongside, and it, we'll we'll talk about both aspects of this. Alongside that announcement was a now deleted tweet from PlayStation Japan that also welcomed Blue Point Games, the Demon Souls remake creators, uh, to the PlayStation family as well. Um, the the thing that makes people think that was more than just a, a typo is because they actually had a bespoke new image that had all of these sort of like PlayStation Studios lined up, included Demon Souls in there, had them have the the Blue Point logo on there. So we're potentially looking at Blue Point also being uh, officially acquired, presumably an announcement sometime to come soon if that is the case. Um, but as of right now, we we know Housemark uh, has been picked up, and I for one am I'm really excited by this. I've I've loved Housemark for quite some time on PlayStation and at least for my end and Brian will start with you in terms of like these deals, it sort of felt like Returnal and Demon Souls also to, to another extent, if Blue Point turns out to be true, we're sort of like the final test beds of like, okay, we, we kind of want this deal to happen, but let's see what you do with our brand new hardware. And right. both were hits, both were critically acclaimed and it felt like, okay, that seals the deal. Yeah, no, Returnal is one of my favorite games this year. Um, it's one of the best PS5 games. It's uh, Housemark. Right before Returnal came out, I went like kind of on a download spree um, and re-downloaded every old Housemark game that I could get my hands on. Um, most of them I had purchased already, so it was easy to do that. And like they have such an awesome pedigree, and I just I really love their approach to sort of taking this like 80s, 90s arcade design philosophy and modernizing it. And also like on like on a personal level, it's just super cool to see uh, hard work pay off and be rewarded. This is a studio that has been consistently awesome, but also very openly had like financial troubles and you know, uh, had dabbled in uh, making mobile games, chasing the battle royal craze and, and and shit like that. And it was just like, get a, it's so cool to see them ha not have to worry about that. Like they they moved in with the family that's going to take care of them. They're going to get support. They're staffing up, uh, which is part of the announcement is like they're they're bringing new people on. They're they already said they're working on a new project that isn't a sequel to Returnal. It's it's going beyond Returnal, whatever that means. Um, and. I, I love this. I love this. I, I, this is such a cool sort of feather in the cap of what Sony's doing to join like all of their studios and stuff like that. And, you know, for so many people, uh, the Sony third, you know, first party studios are basically just like long story driven, sad dad stories. And there was, a you know, some sad mom stuff in Returnal for sure. And, you know, it's it's it is a third person you know, kind of bleak, sad game in a lot of ways, but also like this, this is a, this is a studio that just knows how to have fun with the sort of arcade genre. And I can't wait to see what they do next. I'm so happy for them that they get to continue to grow and evolve and stick to their guns and make cool stuff. That's like the best news in the world you can possibly ask for, for a studio like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for them uh, to your point of like having that backing because Returnal felt like the, the first step in their new era where, yeah. where they do have this arcade DNA. And I think that's going to continue to be part of their games, but to have the, the backing and the support and the stability, I think that's something that we've seen 
on both sides. Like Tim Schafer was very open about like wanting to join Xbox after like uh, Double Fine notoriously like stayed independent very specifically for a long time, but because it meant he didn't have to worry about also pitching the next game to be able to get funding for it. They could just right. have that funding and security back there. And so especially for a smaller team like Housemark, who's been putting in the work for years, who has been like, I think a stalwart of you know, like a high point of both the PS4's launch day and now, you know, the first six months of the PS5 uh, and, and been on PS3 and Vita as well. Like I'm, I'm very, very happy for them and I'm excited to see what comes from them next. It's um, also watching charting their evolution has been uh, fascinating too. Like Returnal is such a step up over anything else that they've made before. And that's, I, I can't wait to see them grow. Like that's so cool. So I'm looking Max, at the um, reason to me. Oh, no, you go ahead, Max. I was going to say, just talking about sort of the evolution of the studio, um, both Housemark and Bluepoint, this is this is not really that surprising um, because they've both been, I would say, sort of primarily in bed with Sony for mm -hmm. around 15 years each. Uh, I mean, the majority of, of things that Housemark has put out have been have been PlayStation exclusive. There's Super Stardust HD. There was the uh, the PSP version. There was Dead Nation, which was across all the uh, PlayStation platforms. They made a bunch of Vita games. Uh the 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 exceptions here are really like the Angry Birds trilogy and uh, Outland, which was multi-plat. And but it's oh, like yeah. they they've clearly been like really like they've been pretty tight with with Sony. Like they've been making lots of you know PlayStation Four exclusives or PlayStation Three exclusives. And then looking at Bluepoint, I mean obviously they're a, you know they're a port house for the most part, but they do really good ports. Uh, the only the only ports they've done that weren't for a PlayStation system were the Metal Gear Solid HD collection and the 360 version of Titanfall. But like everything else that they did has, has been a PlayStation game. So it's, it, it feels, it feels less like, I mean, obviously this is, you know, this is an acquisition and it's cool. They're going to have some more money to throw around and they have the security of that. But like, this feels more like a, you know, yeah, Jon Snow is part of the, the family. This, this sort of like, you know, <laughs> bastard step kid is allowed to, you know, come to Christmas officially. Like he gets to be in the Sears portrait studio photo. Like it's, um, yeah, you know, like your, it's, your, it's more your that, friends yeah. that were engaged for a long time get married. Yeah, like exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, similar to, sorry, Lucy, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to add that, like, I feel like, so this is a very simplistic observation. So I apologize in advance, but it feels like, you know, Sony is starting to, it's, it's very MCU ish. Like it felt like with the, the Ratchet and Clank, the, when I, when you power that up and you see the Sony studios, logo and it's very mm -hmm. much like the marvel studios logo and like they're they're getting all these kind of uh smaller developers under their wings you know like how the mcu is 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 getting like taika waititi and perhaps less known directors under their wing right it's like and and all of a sudden you're getting these very tonally different films and under the playstation better you're getting these very tonally different games um and i think that's really exciting and interesting but like from the outside that is it, it's starting to feel very mcue right i yeah. think it's it's very much like a um we used to have that sort of you know only on playstation or that sort of nintendo seal of approval kind of graphic that you'd see on things and this is I mean, you know by having a really cohesive uh first party kind of label it's really being like this is you you can expect a certain level of quality from this and i you know i wonder if they just sort of looked at their long-running relationship with house mark and blue point and they were just like hey you passed the test they can you can come hang out you know but don't you no, think I mean, they're, they're leaning into it from like a marketing angle oh, you know totally. I, yeah, like yeah. For, oh, as yeah. soon as soon as that ratchet like for me it was that ratchet and clank 
Sony Studios thing, I was just like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, there's, this I think is there's, what you're doing. I think there's always been some confusion among among players. Uh, you know, obviously we're pretty we're pretty close to this, but like, what constitutes mm. a first party game versus a, a game that is exclusive to a platform? You know, right? right. If you mm -hmm. can only play it on PlayStation and you start up your your system and it has the PlayStation logo and then you play the game, but it was developed by people who don't work for PlayStation, they just made a PlayStation game. That's you know, that's not a first party thing. It's just you know, it's just exclusive. But you know, then you can have I don't know. It's it, it that doesn't. Like you get, you'd get the PlayStation startup logo on every, you know, PS1, PS2, PS3 game. Like there's always a, there's that thing there. And it's just sort of, it's kind of nice that they have like a really, it's, it is, it is cohesive branding to be like, Hey, this is, this is one of our games. You can only get this here. You know? It's yeah. absolutely Bye. an evolution of the Nintendo seal of quality. Mm -hmm. Like it's yeah. absolutely that. Well, we don't buy games in boxes anymore. So having a little sticker on the top that says only on PlayStation doesn't work because if you're buying it from the PlayStation store, you're not checking to see if it's on the Xbox Marketplace or Steam or whatever. So having this thing get in your face when you first start it up to be like, ah, I can only get this here. And, <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, you see in two years, you know. <laughs> Uh, acquiring the yeah, uh, acquiring them. I think also like Lucy to your point, it's it's assembling the the team who have been sort of a part of it, uh, you know, for some time. And and I I think like this has bumped those people up to that next level. Like like you were saying, I think um, most of the MCU directors now are people who did one indie. Mo there was a joke on I'm watching Hacks on HBO Max, and there was a joke about how like someone did one indie film and now she's doing the next Marvel movie, and like that was kind of that's been the thing with the MCU is you do an indie movie mm -hmm. that's really criti critically acclaimed, you win an Oscar if you're Chloe Zhao, and then you <laughs> direct a Marvel movie. And so I like Returnal and Demon Souls were I think both really big hits, and I think are kind of looked at as the next gen games right now. Like other now and Ratchet and Clank of course, but those were the the two not owned companies by Sony. And if Sony just acquires them, then yeah, they are, they are the face of what next gen games are looking like right now. And, and that can go a long way for marketing because I am honestly sure that like, you know, as long as those studios remained independent and seeing the acclaim that Returnal and Demon's Souls got and seeing the work that they put in, probably other people want to work with Housemark and Bluepoint. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a matter of Sony probably saying, well, we want to make sure we're always going to be able to work with them. Uh, and their teams that probably could use the backing and the funding and security because that's, you know, something these teams probably love to have. Uh, I can't help so, but wonder yeah. how long this has been in talks because if, yeah. you know, I mean, Returnal, again, it's like that is the biggest house mark game to date and Demon's Souls. It's been in talks been. since late last year. Okay. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, yeah, I wonder if it was just sort of like, okay, you shipped a, you shipped a launch title, welcome aboard. But, it, you mm -hmm. know, or if this was even just like a, a conversation prior to that, but... Uh, Apparently, they were talking about it towards the tail end of development for Returnal, and then, um, and this is where it gets confusing to me, um, kind of put it aside so the team could finish the game, I guess, instead of just being like, hey, you might have to, you know, move <laughs> soon or something like that, or like, you know, we might have a, a new, like, like if you, you're, you, your studio gets bought out and things change, it was too much to sort of shake up when they were just sort of at the finish line of um make you know dragging the game to go gold uh which i guess makes sense because like if they're hiring new people and stuff like that that creates a lot of new dynamics in a studio um and so like yeah that's that's pretty cool that not only where they were like hey this is kind of uh, you know on the horizon right now but also finish what you're working on um we'll see how it does and then and then we'll talk and then it it sold returnal sold really well which is great you know yeah for like and a 70 dollar punishing arcade game basically <laughs> yeah 
it, it really put housemark on the map in a way that I think like they've been critically acclaimed for a while, but matching that with some commercial success um, will really go along. I think in the future and, and Lucy to your point, I think like immediately, even if they don't, you know, continue with Returnal, I think like making housemark and Returnal and Celine a part of this brand that you now know as part of the MCU of PlayStation Mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense for them going forward. And and Blue Point's an interesting one too, where as as uh, Max, you were looking into their history, like they are pretty much known for remasters and remakes. I wonder if that's what continues from them because they sure know how to do it really, really well. And there are a bunch of old PlayStation franchises people want to see, but like it's also a talented studio and I wonder what their inclinations are to doing an original project as well. And maybe this offers them security to do both of those things. Okay, so I'm it's looking also- at, the, at the PlayStation 5 launch games. Um, this might be a little bit tinfoil hat, but I feel like if this trend continues, it would not surprise me one bit to see Sony scoop up Sumo Digital and Young Horses because Sumo Digital did, you know, Sackboy's Big Adventure, which, you know, I mean, this isn't, you know, there's no indication that like a, a company that makes a launch title for a, a platform would be uh, necessarily acquired. But I feel like, you know, Sumo also did Little Big Planet 3 and uh, they've, you know, got a look, you know, long track record. I'm looking at young horses who did who did bug snacks uh which was kind of a kind of a surprise uh you know launch game and it was also like free out the gate uh they also they have a history of doing like octodad was using playstation move support they had a mm-hmm. uh, i don't know it was i don't even know i don't know if that was exclusive specifically but like i think it might have launched console yeah exclusive yeah on i mean it's, that, it's that was an early yeah. game for it's PS4. you know an existing relationship there i just i mean i'm gonna i'm just gonna say that now and if it happens (laughs) somebody remind me that i said it we can point back here yeah um yeah young horse is an interesting one like having talked to that team a bunch it's i wonder like how much they would value the independence over uh the security of that stuff and i'd be very curious to see where they go um in the future i'm very excited for whatever comes next from them as someone who loved bug snacks a lot sumo is an interesting one because yeah they they now have a very long-standing Sackboy and Little Big Planet relationship, and but they are like a much more, uh, much wider company than just that. Like they, I think Sumo were also the people who made Hood recently. Like they, they are, acquired. Let's see. They have acquired several studios. Like they are a big company into themselves. So I mm-hmm. like. I almost wonder if that just remains a partnership at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that could also check out. But I mean, if you, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, Young Horses has like a very a very double fine kind of energy to them. Like they're very oh, kind yeah, of wacky sure. and, you know, you look at a lot of sort of uh, Sony's other stuff and it's very, you know, it's very, very polished and, you know, triple A and, and shiny and clean and sort of to have like the, you know, to have sort of a class clown in their portfolio would be, you know, good addition. Yeah. yeah. I love and, the idea of, of Celine ahead. joining the sort of like PlayStation Avengers, because it's like, you have all these people that are like wrought with trauma <laughs> and then, like these, you know, people being like, oh, God, Kratos is like, my wife died. And then like fucking Joel's like, my daughter died. And Celine's like, I've canonically been killed hundreds of thousands of times and lived through every second of it. It fucking sucks. <laughs> and then they pan over to like, I, they pan over to the, the one of the bug snacks and he's like, I have hot dogs for hands. <laughs> the sliding scale of tragedy in PlayStation. Oh my God. Uh, See, ranking the, the most tragic uh, yeah, the one thing that I, I, you know, I consistently heard from um, from like devs who have worked under the Sony banner is that they have always been afforded a great deal of creative freedom. Like that is what I've heard. I mean, that is just what I've been told from speaking to people at like Media Molecule, for example. Um, that there is, you know, there is 
little interference from that like company. So when it comes to acquiring smaller, scrappier studios, uh, I don't, I don't think that I'm not overly concerned that Sony is going to like try and steer them towards a certain type of Sony game. I think that right. there is a degree of understanding that you know they should be allowed to go out and do what and make what they want to make. Yeah, I think yeah. in the same way we're seeing the Xbox acquisitions of teams being like, no, we want you, to, we we acquired you to make the games we want you to make. Like, I think they want Housemark to make Housemark games. If if Blue mm-hmm. Point turns out, they want Blue Point to make either the remakes or the original games that Blue Point wants to make. I think if they acquired a smaller, very like idiosyncratic team like Young Horses, it would be like because we want you to make those games to like turn them. I, I guess the closest comparison I can think of, which has been one of my major bummers, is like, you know, on the Activision side, we have a lot of really imaginative great teams like the Toys for Bob team who are doing the Spyro and, and New Crash games who are now working on Call of Duty. And it, it like hurts my heart to see the er, the ingenuity and the originality and the creativity that came out of a team within this larger, you know, Activision banner to then just continue now having to work on Call of Duty. And so, yeah, I, I don't think we see that sort of same thing with PlayStation. Mm. I think we see which them is, get to make the games they want to. Which is kind of different than what you do see with comic book movie directors, because like a lot of them have been very open about being like, this was my movie, and then those parts were the parts that the studio told me to put in so it can connect to the larger cinematic universe narrative. Um, yeah. I, and I mean, of, of course, <laughs> it's worth pointing out and talking about, you know, obviously there was the report uh, several months ago that we talked about quite a bit on the show of the worry that Sony was just doubling down on blockbusters at the risk of of creative freedom or of, of or at the excuse me, at the um, the limitation of risky creativity. Um, but it, it's at least with these new studios, I think they're acquiring them in the sense to let them do what they do best. Um mm-hmm. But in terms of like Sony's interest in continuing to acquire, um, part of the news of this uh, came out from a GQ UK uh, interview with the leads of Housemark as well as Herman Holst. Uh, and GQ asked Herman if it feels like we're in the midst of this arms race because Microsoft bought Bethesda, Facebook is scooping up a lot of devs for VR. Um, is Sony interested in, in an arms race and or do they see it as an arms race? And Herman said, uh, quote, no, not at all. We're very selective about the developers that we bring in. Our last new acquisition was Insomniac, uh, which has worked out very well. I'm always looking for people that have a similar set of values, similar creative ambitions, and work very well with our team that we can further invest in and help grow as creators. It's not like we're going around and just making random acquisitions. They're very, very targeted acquisitions of teams that we know well. The amount of collaboration between our external development group and Housemark on the technical side, the production management side, and even on the creative side has been so deep. So for us, it just makes so much sense to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is not something you do overnight. Um, we've been working uh, on this for quite a while, but we obviously didn't want to distract the core group at Housemark that's been working to get this amazing title out, uh, Brian, as you had mentioned earlier. And I, I think the the strongest point that I can bring up about this, that where I get that like their current approach is coming from is like the I, I've had those discussions with Herman about Firewalk Studios and uh, Deviation Games. And of course, they also are working with uh, Jade Raymond's Haven Studios like they're not acquiring those teams. Those teams are still independent. They're just these next new games are being published. And that feels like um, his point about their their targeted acquisitions of teams that we know well. And even if those studios mm-hmm. are headed by people they know well, like those are brand new teams. And so it seems like Sony is letting those teams almost like figure out themselves a little bit while working with them and and still giving them like the keys to the kingdom and letting them work with their resources, but not fully taking them on just yet because it is a risk at that point with a new team. Right. I think that's why the Bethesda thing felt um, 
so surprising for a lot of people because it, it didn't really seem like there was like a deep history between those companies outside of just sort of coexisting and, you know, supporting each other's platforms and such. Um, whereas the Sony acquisitions definitely feel like, you know, we have a history of working with you. You've proven to exist well within our ecosystem. We trust you. You know how to, you know, deliver a product that uh, audiences like and critics like and sells well. So I guess like to me, it would be more like to see what Sony should acquire or what I want them to acquire in the future. It would be more like filling holes in uh, or gaps in, in, in genres uh, and stuff like that, that they're not truly covering on right now, which like off the top of my head, I don't really have a ton that I would think of. Whereas I, you know, obviously Microsoft has spent the last few years sort of like ramping up and staffing up and getting to a place where they're a lot more comfortable and um, can go, here's our, you know, here's our suite, here's our library, here's our, all of our studios, our games. Um, but Sony has been doing that for a very long time. So I think that they're in a, they have a really rock solid foundation. So I actually don't know who I'd want to, see them purchase so maybe that is a good philosophy of sort of being selective because i don't think they should just go you know throw a billion dollars at capcom or something um and go hey you're ours now yeah i i worry too i don't want too much consolidation of the industry because you get into that monopolization issue i i do agree like the xbox made the deal it needed to and it was a smart move because they needed to shore up having original exclusives to be able to put on game pass to be able to get people to want to invest in that as a service like it it totally made sense from that perspective but i agree with you it was a very funny move coming off of um you know two playstation 5 announced exclusives from bethesda with it with you know, sword. just money <laughs> like yeah. money 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 that's what mm -hmm. that acquisition was all about and again, like right. good on them for yeah. you know securing that safety. Like that yeah. that gives Bethesda a lot of safety to be part of such a larger corporation. Like Bethesda was big, but Microsoft is Microsoft. Right. And so to be part of that larger house, uh, it just makes sense. Like from a financial point, as you're saying, Lucy. Even even if the relationship doesn't feel as the same as like, oh yeah, Sony acquiring Insomniac is like oh, that should have happened 15 years ago. Yeah, of course. Exactly. That, yeah. Same with same with Housemark and really same with Bluepoint. Like. If that one also proves out to be, which it feels like it will, like those just feel obvious to me, mm -hmm. but I don't want them to go say like, well, we've been publishing a lot of Square Enix, you know, Final Fantasy games exclusively at first. Let's just acquire Square Enix. Like, I, I don't want that to happen on, on the PlayStation side. It would be nice um, if they acquired FromSoft. That would be a cool one. Uh, they did, they did purchase a minority stake in FromSoft's parent company uh, a while back. So mm -hmm. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but for now, you know, uh, I mean, Sekiro sold pretty well multi-platform, and I feel like Elden Ring's going to do the same. But we'll see. I mean, yeah, this is yeah. all. This is more money than any of us could ever understand <laughs> happening constantly with people mm -hmm. who are smarter than us and more I'm powerful. So <laughs> I feel dealing... like I've never. I feel like a child just being like <laughs> we're just like I'm sort of feeling like we're like, we're like the Muppet babies. And yeah. you just see the legs, you know. You just see legs. Yeah, I can't see higher than like the nanny skirt. I'm just I like, mean, I, okay, I'll I'm pretend freaking... it's Star Wars with my friends for a couple. Oh, this of is hours. this is like fourth graders deciding what furniture they want in their dream house. Like this is yeah, this, we don't know yeah. What we're talking about. I'm, I'm freaking out about paying rent today and figuring out where that money is coming from. We're mm -hmm. we're not yeah, we're not qualified for the the million dollar hundreds of millions of dollars deals. Just but, sell uh, Bethesda. You can pay. Rent. Yeah, just sell them. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have this stock, so I assume it means I own the company. Um, but no, very uh, congratulations to the Housemark team. I haven't gotten to speak with a few of them uh, with the launch of Returnal. They seem like a really 
great passionate group uh, of devs who have been doing amazing work for years and I'm, I'm very excited to see what's ahead for them and maybe congrats to Bluepoint as well hopefully we get to talk with you in the future the way to celebrate would be to remaster Bloodborne or just putting that out there it's a good time mm -hmm. it's a good celebration just drag and drop it put it through the graphics processor and make <laughs> those. all those secret skeletons they that the people on YouTube found in the walls and such you know yeah. like bring those guys those, those old horses get those out there Fog. Volumetric fog. I read that somewhere. I don't know what it is, but it sounds spooky. Put it in Yarnum. It is a phrase I have definitely heard as well in a GDC talk. Uh, moving on from there, though, of course, uh, whether or not that happens, we'll, we'll, of course, cover it on the show when or if it does. Uh, but uh, in terms of looking forward a little bit closer to games uh, you can play on PlayStation Plus next month. Uh, July's PlayStation Plus lineup was revealed this morning as we're recording, uh, and it includes on PS4 uh, WWE Battlegrounds, which I think is that like sort of chibi WWE game that got released when they said there wasn't going to be a proper WWE game because the developers. I think, I think chibi, chibi's the wrong nomenclature. I feel like that is okay. super deformed or SD. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> okay. Um, there's it's also D DK mode in GoldenEye, basically. Okay. Uh, Black Ops Four which is not the most recent Black Ops, let alone the most recent Call of Duty. Uh, and on PS5, uh, A Plague Tale Innocence, which is coming to... That is it, cool. It's yeah. getting a next-gen remaster on uh, PS5 and Xbox Series X in, in the beginning of July. And so this will be free to PlayStation Plus owners, you know, no additional charge there. I'm really excited. I've heard such great Me stuff too. about A Plague Tale, uh, and I've been waiting to jump into it, hoping there would be... Uh, uh, a next-gen remaster since it came out so late in the gen and now that we have a sequel confirmed for next year i i really want to jump into this one it, it's, it's apparently you know extremely un, un you know undervalued so i'm mm -hmm. i'm definitely keen to jump into it yeah one of the best rats games i've ever played easily. i hear it's got volume mm, high rats. praise it does have volume <laughs> rats. Rats. interesting um well we uh I'm happy about that one. The other two I'm less happy about, except for to say, like, just put some some cool games people may not have heard of before instead of Call of I, Duty. <laughs> I tried to get into that that wrestling game on Game Pass because I was like, I'm looking for just, and it's, you know, free to download or whatever. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'm looking for like a fun sort of like arcadey beat em up. It is one of the most like grindy games I've ever played in my entire life. Like it's kind of a mm -hmm. bummer because like there's like there's some really cool ideas in the back end of sort of like unlocking you unlock characters in action figure packages. Like they have like card backs and everything and bubbles, and which is super cool. But you have to fight like hundreds of matches to get enough, you know, sweat points or whatever they call them in that game to unlock the the men and the women. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Just a heads up. It will be, it's free to download on PS Plus or it's part of your subscription, but that is a serious time commitment. So just keep in mind that your time is just as valuable or maybe it's not. Maybe you're just bored and you want to grind, grind for yeah. men. Just do it. Grind for men. Uh, that's a different <laughs> app. Um, yeah, what it's worth, yeah. Mitchell reviewed it on IGN and gave it a five. Uh, mm -hmm. saying it works as a shallow party game. You play for an hour, then move on to something else, and that's it. Um, so take that one, yeah, with a little bit of caution, but uh, definitely I hope you'll all be checking out a Plague Tale, because I will be too. If you're, um, if you're a shallow party dude, you're going to love this game. <laughs> uh, shallow party dudes and grinders for men, apparently. Uh, <laughs> moving on from there, I just wanted to briefly mention, uh, we were talking about the Castlevania Arcade Collection getting rated in a few places. Uh, the ESRB rated a Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut for PS4 and PS5. Uh, this comes on the heels of a few uh, reports and rumors of an alleged uh, single-player DLC expansion coming at some point uh, that has been referred to as Ghost of Ikishima. Um, that's 
makes sense is sort of the type of thing you would put in a director's cut. Um, whether or not, you know, that's all planned for some sort of reveal at a state of play or something else, we don't know for sure. But uh, just wanted to keep that one on the radar because I'll take an excuse to go back and explore that very, very pretty world. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out Same. on the on the run of show, you told us what was on the run of show. We discussed this before we recorded, but you wrote more ghost stuff, director's cut. And I was like, what is more ghost stuff? That sounds like a great indie game. I can't believe I missed that more one. Ghost, it's a, I, that's it's actually a Swayze movie. They found some new scenes. They're going to re-put it out again. He's they Instead of just doing pottery, they do all sorts of art stuff. Uh, I've actually never seen Ghost, so I it's only, okay. You don't need to see that movie. <laughs> I only know that scene via like community parodies. Weirdly, uh, anyway, moving on from there. Last thing I wanted to bring up uh, was something. Thank you, Max, for pointing this one out. Um, it was a thread that appeared, I guess, overnight in our uh, in U.S. hours um, regarding uh, things potentially uh, about what it takes for indie games to appear and be promoted and work with uh, Platform X, uh, which is, if you read between the lines, very obviously a PlayStation. Uh, this thread comes from, and forgive me, I never know how to pronounce it when there's another I in there, so forgive me, but is it uh, Ian or Ian? Let's uh, just say Ian for like... Double Ian. Double Ian Garner. Uh, I apologize for butchering your name, but uh, co-founder of a publisher, an indie publisher known as Neon Doctrine, which I will um, fully admit I was not really aware of them before this thread, uh, but this thread has pick, picked up some steam overnight where he runs through the... Uh, it very clearly came uh, based on his previous tweets after a meeting with Platform X, which he says is uh, will not be defined, but it's the operator of a very successful console and does not have Game Pass. Um, so obviously we're all, I mean, yeah, it's the, uh, Atari VCS. Um, but no, the, to, to, to either, even further dig into that, um, somebody responded and they were like, I'd be shocked if this wasn't Nintendo. And he responded, be shocked. (laughs) So that pretty much numbers it down to Sony. (laughs) Yeah. There, there have also been a couple other, uh, developers who have chimed in. Um, obviously not too many because it seems like these things are related to probably things you sign NDAs for, or do, you know, longstanding business deals of. So there hasn't been a ton of developers speaking publicly, but, uh, his thread kind of goes into the, the difficulties as an indie developer of getting promotion or, you know, putting, uh, promotional push behind your games on the PlayStation store. Um, some of the, some of the things that he brings up include, uh, that they don't really have an ability to manage their games on the store. Uh, they said in order to get promotion, you must jump through hoops, beg and plead for any level of promotion. Um, they also don't feel like a, a blog post is as worth it as they think PlayStation thinks it is. According to them, this is of course all alleged based on their conversations. Um, they said wish lists don't really have an effect on the PlayStation Store, um, whereas they, you know, can surface games on other platforms. Um, so it can... go ahead. Do you, do you understand that? Because I'm not sure because I, I wish list games every now and then because uh, I know when you do it on Steam, they'll ping you when they're like on a, a sale or a deep discount or something like that. Um, and I don't necessarily know the justification or reasoning for that. Like, I, I think it's I, I've seen developers say like, hey, wish list our game. Um, sort of in lieu of like a pre-order because um, pre-ordering games digitally is, you know, unless there's an actual value to it, like there's bonus content or something. Um, it's not necessarily something I'm, I'm interested in in any way. Sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't really know what the purpose is for wishlisting on these uh, sort of e- e-shops because it, it doesn't seem like to do anything significant. 
and I think I, that's I what presume he's... that there's like a pro like a sort of understanding or a promise that if it, your game gets wishlisted enough times, it receives a certain degree of like surface promotion, right? Yeah, like right. it becomes it, it tell. The, I think the idea is that, and again, this is something that we're we're saying, not knowing how these deals properly work out. But the mm -hmm. as you were saying, Brian, like on Steam, um, there's there's the you know you wishlist things there, and a game that gets wishlisted enough seems to get algorithmically bumped up for people. That is the thing that is part of Steam. I think what he is implying is that doing so on PlayStation doesn't offer any sort of similar net gain, and so it's essentially like a worthless tool. Um, that doesn't. I mean but but it's hard to say because we don't know anyone who said, oh, I've gotten wishlisted a million times and been able to get promotion as a result. We, we just don't know the numbers of that. Um, right, right. Because it seems to me like the, the, the idea of like wishlisting something a lot of times and then it get it earns promotion is is sort of like it's it's making something on the rise to popularity more popular. It, you know, it's giving rich people gift bags with phones in them. And it's like, make, give those to poor people. You know, like there's, there's like the idea of like a, something getting wishlisted a lot and then bumping up um seems weird because it's like f that that still doesn't save any of the sort of like hidden gems or the undiscovered like really cool games that no one really knows about uh, obviously all these storefronts have a discoverability problem massively massively because there's just too many games released and there's some little rectangles you can put there but i, I think like, like what is really like you know i i'm, I'm working with an uh indie game dev right now he's writing a guest editorial for us on like how I shouldn't talk about it before it's even published, but like about how, you know, the indie, the term indie is, is becoming really nebulous and it's actually working actively against um, a lot of indie devs in terms of promotion. And, you know, from my understanding, that's, that's across, like, I'm not saying that there aren't issues with the Sony storefront um, because, and promote, you know, obviously there are a lot of like really muddied issues that this guy is raising. Um, but, you know, I think as a general rule, it is really, really difficult to get your indie game of w which is now classified as anything less than AAA, um, right. you know, uh, promotion on, on, on storefronts. Like it's like, it, I, I don't think it's just a Sony PlayStation issue. I think that it's a, it's an everything issue. It's like it there, enough. there are no buckets in which to separate indie games in a, in a meaningful way. And I think that that's a broader conversation to be had. Yeah, and I, I, I think, I, no, Brian, just to, just to the point of the wishlisting, I think the idea is that indie devs use it as a way to groundswell support via social media, which, again, exposes a problem that is, you know, like across the board of discoverability just being an issue. Right. But I think the idea is that the wishlisting, when there's enough passion from a small group, it can elevate those smaller games, and then that lets people who would have never seen it otherwise see it on those charts and, and in a place of prominence they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I think it speaks to just like the fact that people need to go out of their way and really do all this stuff to get any sort of prominence is is an issue. Uh, I think we can all agree all of the storefronts are just generally have their own problems. I don't think right. there's any great storefront. <laughs> no, even down to um, the search functionality in a lot of these stores, like if you type in something like Far Cry, you're going to get dozens of results that aren't even remotely related to that. And obviously those are just two words 
together. So that really could like if anybody who tagged keywords in the back end of their you know uh, game description uh, that might flag that in a search. But it's just crazy to me. Like Nintendo had the same problem for a while. One of the things that, that developers were doing that I think they shut down on the Nintendo eShop was they were uh, deep discounting their games to like pennies because most people who mm -hmm. buy games in the eShop get money in kind of gold my Nintendo coins in return. So everybody always has a couple of like pennies in the wallet or a couple of bucks or whatever. So they would deep de discount these games at 90, 95% off, drop them down to like a dollar or sometimes a penny. And people would buy them like crazy because they'd be like, oh, that's, you know, at the top of the sales tab um, or the deals tab, which would then bump it to the best selling tab. And it was sort of like a cheat code. Uh, and I remember like there was a lot of really bad games that sold really well because people were like, I'll buy a game for a penny. And then the developers would bump the price back up to the original price. And so you would have this best-selling game at $8 or $9 or even $5. And people would go like, oh, it's the one of the best-selling games. It must be good. And mm -hmm. it isn't, you know? It just sold really well because it was a penny because, you know, people will buy crap when it's a penny. And so, yeah, like, all of these stores have that problem. Um, it, is, it is odd to me, like, when you... When you go on like the deals tab or like the folk, you know, the spotlight tab on a lot of these stores, you see Call of Duty and you see um, Battlefield and you see GTA and a lot of games that don't need help, but also like they're best sellers. So it's sort of like a chicken and egg situation, right? Like because they want you want an audience to buy a PS5 or a Series X or a Switch and jump on the store and then see the biggest, best selling, highest rated games. Um and it helps keep those things in perpetuity at the top of the charts, but it leaves little room for breakthroughs. I think, I think outside of, yeah. I, I agree, but I think outside of like, you know, the the, the broad issues with storefronts as a whole, you know, just reading through this thread, it seems like there's a lot of like issues that this guy is having um, and it sounds like others are having with communication from PlayStation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, communication. And that's, that's an issue, right? Yeah, which which we obviously don't have any insight into how those conversations mm. like go in terms of we don't have those conversations because we're not making games. But um, yeah, what two of his biggest problems to me seem to be the the as you were saying, Lucy, like the conversations to actually just get promotional consideration, approval, things like that seem to be really stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think his frustration comes from the idea that PlayStation has publicly taken an increased stance to want to support indies but that the behind-the-scenes machinations don't necessarily live up to that promise. Um, and some of the things that he points to, as, as you were saying, Lucy, are like, it can take, you know, not just weeks, but months sometimes to get a response. I believe if that wasn't him, another developer had chimed in to say that, um, of communication for these things. Um, there, there was some concern over, uh, you know, actual platform uh, featuring, which uh, I do want to bring up some reporting in this, but he mentions how... Uh, you know, all the stores take a 30% cut, but to really essentially get a feature, you have to pay a minimum of a $25,000 US fee to get featured. Uh, Kotaku's report on this, sorry, I am playing with a, a Grookey, so if you see that pop up, that's why there's a weird little green monkey here. Uh, Kotaku's reporting also mentioned that from developers they've spoken to, that this seems to be something that is similar on Xbox as well, um, which, you know, for indie devs can be a large chunk of their budget. Um, right. For, for some of these devs. Uh, and, and so I think he, he was talking about sort of the amalgam of all these things with the, the problem of communication, even something like uh, discounts, like being able to uh, do launch discounts is really not an option. 
uh, for them, at least uh, they're very limited uh, for them to be able to give their game at a launch discount, which I have seen some games like most recently, I think Griftlands was available as a like PlayStation plus discount at launch. Um, but, but speaking to that, they, they mentioned things like, uh, discounts are hard to be, to be part of future discounts. It's basically, you don't get to do it yourself. It's sort of something that they choose when and where those things happen. Um, it, it's sort of a, a, it seems like a web of issues of, uh, uh, that boil down to a lot of Lucy, as you were saying, communication stuff, Max. That whole, like, we'll decide how to market your game. Sounds a lot like how iOS games are published. Like I've heard that Apple's basically like you submit your stuff and they're just sort of like, it's like, when is it going up? And it's like, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. And it's like, that mm-hmm. seems a yeah. little bit, a little bit presumptuous. Um, it bugs me though. Cause like whenever a new game comes out, indie, triple A, whatever, if I hop on the PlayStation store, I feel like the top thing I see is either games that came out a while ago and everyone's heard of because they're massive bestsellers or games that aren't even out yet because they're pre-orders for stuff that just got announced at E3. And mm-hmm. like this, I mean, this happened for like um, for Final Fantasy Integrate, I think. And it was, you know, it was it was still placed pretty high up, but I was like, I was looking for it and I was like, this just came out today. Why isn't this front and center? Like, this is one of the biggest things and it's a freaking exclusive to the platform. Like, what do you... What are you doing over here? And like, I don't know if you if you go to the search and you and you uh, organize by release date or whatever, like newest first, you can find some stuff that way. But it really is just like it's completely baffling that there's no there's no like here's what just came out. It's all all of the things. Some of them, right. you know, maybe they're shovelware that costs seventy five cents. Maybe it's a PlayStation theme. Just put that somewhere. Uh, and those and they, the. The storefront front pages also collate like movie deals and um, the subscription services like PlayStation Plus and PS Now, which take up huge amounts of real estate. And so like, also, like they know if you have PlayStation Plus or not, like get rid of yeah. it. If you have it, like maybe maybe if I'm paying you money every month, like get rid of the ads and stuff. Like, well, this, I, I don't this, know. <laughs> while we're soapboxing, this pissed me off the other day too. I got an email from Sony. Um, do you guys remember before the PS5? Uh, went on sale there was that thing you could sign up for where they were no, like playstation direct yeah yeah and they were like well, you you can buy a playstation directly through us and i never got the email from them all these people were like tweeting out beta invites and stuff like that and i didn't get one so i ended up getting my ps5 through amazon and sony knows i have a ps5 they know that millions of people can't get a ps5 and can't get one and they know i've registered i'm 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 purchasing multiple ps5 games digitally through their storefront they know i'm a i'm a ps i'm get, getting trophies on ps5 they know i'm in the ecosystem like i'm not just like mm-hmm. faking it using your friends they sent me a thing the other day being like good news you got uh, approved to purchase a ps5 through us and i wanted to be like i don't need this give this to somebody who needs this so mm-hmm. many people want this right now and they're fighting tooth and nail for it no, I, I mean, feel like that... maybe you wanted to sell it for a thousand bucks on eBay. <laughs> I got that same email too, Brian. It felt kind of like you, you know, if I have a PS five, yeah, like, right? looking a grift you... horse in the mouth there. <laughs> uh, Griftlands now on PlayStation four, but um, I don't think you could pass those to somebody else. Right. Cause they were like, no, yeah. Yeah. I think the, like the larger thread. And I think one of the things that at least struck a chord with me and, and Max, you were the one who, who brought it to my attention. So if, if you feel differently, obviously let me know. But I, I think like the really stark thing for me was that especially seeing the reporting that's come out since and probably more to come is that like, there are problems across the board, but PlayStation's does really seem to boil down to, as Lucy was saying, like the communication and the, the way they, um, at least this dev and it seems some other dev take it as like a, 
we don't need you, you don't need us. And that, that is an alleged presumption of sort of what the, those conversations boil down to. We obviously haven't been part of them. But that seems to be like the energy that they're walking away from from these convos. Mm-hmm. I really also- hope that this like absolutely, I don't know, as soon as, you know, this kind of thread gets media attention, I really hope that there are changes made because this Rattle sounds... some cages. But this sounds agonizing looking through this thread. It just sounds, you know, you put like everything you have into making this game and and getting it on the PlayStation store. And then you have to, it's just jump through these hoops where you're sort of doomed to fail. It just sounds so agonizing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got, they got rid of the, uh, you know, the drop on the PlayStation blog where it used to be like a weekly thing that was like, here's everything that came out this week, which was super handy. It was great. You know, I'd skim that every week and check it out. And I understand that not everybody wants to go check out a blog because it's a thing from 2004 or whatever. But now that now that blog is just like this weird, like smattering of like, oh, here's a press release about Call of Duty, which I don't I don't need to read that. And then an announcement from Herman Hulst, which seems like a thing. Like that's a you know proper PlayStation blog thing, and then it'll be like, oh here's a you know here's a thing from uh oh one of the lead producers of an upcoming game talking about his game and what it's doing, and it's like, mm. I guess that's sort of cool, but it's it's you know again it's like a it's a smaller sort of pre- it's like a paid blog, it's just like a really odd sort of odd platform at this point that could be used as like a sort of you know a customer a, like a, a PR mouthpiece, a way to re- you know relate information to the public. It could be you know super handy in that sense. Right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, going back I to, this, uh, to this thread, I want to say, like, um, there's a mention in there about how, like, people are assigned, like, case managers or whatever. Or, like, you have, like, a – you have somebody at Sony who's assigned to your to your game to sort of handle it and be your sort of point of contact. And I've heard about yeah. this before from, you know, developer friends, and it sounds to me like um, <laughs> like having a social worker, like, yeah. if, and it's – which is just – it's hard – or, like, a, you know, a parole officer. And, like, if you get – if you get stuck with a uh, one who's not – great at their job or isn't it doesn't have your best interest at heart then you're kind of screwed and if you get with a really good one then things are awesome but it's like you know there's no way to really tell one way or the other and it sounds i mean it sounds like this guy definitely got kind of the short end of the stick on a number of levels yeah it sounds like it can be a bit of a crapshoot because it, it is worth pointing out like especially in this era where they are trying to push things i think we were talking before the show but like you know shuhei appeared on the the uh jeff Keeley not E3 E3 show to be like, here's chicory that's out today. And, and again, they were putting some muscle behind cause it's a PlayStation five console exclusive. And they announced the salt and sanctuary sequel on there as a like PlayStation loves indie sort of thing. And so it's very clear that like some indies are getting, you know, attention and promotion and love from PlayStation. But I, I think it's a, like the, the thread speaks to the, the, just the sheer number of devs who you probably don't hear about from the one or two spotlights at a show like uh, Keeley's show and and how they can fight for space on a platform that is arguably supposed to be the biggest console. Um, and, and well, I think- it's like the golden touch, right? Like it comes down from on high and is like you and you and the rest of you can go the, back. The to one thing I'm, I'm curious about is if you launch your game on Steam, does sales there factor into like getting Sony's attention? Like, will that get you courted by somebody who's trying to corral more indie stuff to, you know, put on the PSN store? Um, so, I mean, you know, if you want to, la- if you want to launch on all platforms at once, which is obviously a great way to get everyone's eyes on it, that's I can see that being tricky. But if you're like, oh, it's the it's been the number one Steam game for, you know, like I, five five months or whatever, you know. 
I don't know. That's that's a really interesting prospect because there's a lot of um, sort of uh, staggered launches that happen that it seems to be working in their favor occasionally. Like if you look at like Hades, right? Like that was sort of dominated that conversation on Switch and now it's coming to PlayStation and it's like this whole thing. You know, like it, I feel like that reignited that conversation just because that audience wasn't allowed to access it for a long time and then now can. Um, but that's interesting because well, I, I know I get frustrated when like a big new game comes out and I go to buy it on PlayStation and they're like, oh, it's not here. It's only on Steam and your phone or something. I'm like, what? I mean, Supergiant's one of my favorite devs and they have had a like longstanding with uh, Transistor and Pyre. Like both of those were, you know, PlayStation focused released indies. And then it was really surprising to me to not see Hades come to yeah. PlayStation first. Like when it got announced for Switch, I was just happy to finally play because I don't play much on PC. But like it was really a shock to not see Supergiant's Dex game come to PlayStation. Obviously, I'm not saying there was any issue there with their relationship, but um, it, it, there is this we're in a very strange era for indies it feels like at playstation both like publicly and now it seems behind the scenes as well um and i like i they have started to put this impetus ever since shuhei got into his role that is focused on outre outreach to indie devs as a sign that they were going back to what they did during uh the vita years as we have in a, a recent piece that went up on ign that we can talk about in a sec Lucy. but um you know those years in the very beginning of the ps4 like indies were put on the same stage as the the biggest games you know stuff like no man's mm. sky was trotted out at several playstation games it's launch notwithstanding maybe like, maybe a bad example i, no, I, don't I know, just I'd mean, go with like luft rousers or something i just mean like that was one they put a lot of muscle behind and they were right they, they wanted to and they put you know on the first playstation 4 e3 that i attended as like a, a freelancer they they were like here's 12 big indies coming to ps4 and it was like they had all the devs coming out on stage to play their game for like a minute and did all this quick carousel of things like they want to show that uh you know outwardly and i think they're trying to do that again but it, it does if things behind the scenes are not living up to that those processes do have to change um yeah but again it's it's processes we don't have a full insight into uh we'll we'll be covering more as we go on again we it, it's very clear there are issues throughout all of the storefronts um, th that are going on. Um, this one in particular is, is focused on what's going on on PlayStation. I don't know, Dora. Um, this guy sounds like a pretty big Xbox fan. Maybe he's <laughs> putting some blood in the water there. We'll see. But um, it's uh, something we'll obviously continue to cover as we hear more. Uh, obviously, we haven't heard any comment from PlayStation at the time we're recording this. Um, but uh, should there be any more reporting at IGN or elsewhere, we'll, we'll be sure to keep an eye on it. Um, running a little short on time uh this week so i just wanted to briefly mention i know we took a little bit of time last week but uh lucy before you left you you were just continuing ratchet and clank correct in terms of what you yeah it's still still i okay i don't have my playstation with me it's just too heavy to take in my suitcase and and lug to new zealand um but yeah i was i was really digging it i mean i don't want to you know go on about it i i I think it's a delight to play. It's got a real theme park vibe. Uh, it just feels good to play. And um, I'm looking forward to getting back to it when I return to the US in six weeks. <laughs> the, in the meantime, I've got my Switch. So I'll, I'll you know, speak to, to the, the games that are multi-platform on, on the Switch. I don't know. They both seem like pretty portable platforms, in my opinion, but to each their own, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Brian, what have you been playing since we last checked in? God, the idea of even bringing a PS5 I on know. an airplane. Um, 
I uh, I played a bunch of Chicory, which is cool. I'm not in love with the art style, but I think it's like really smart the way it handles these sort of like adult coloring book uh, drawings that you then color in on the fly. It's really smart in that like you can sort of sporadically splash some paint across the screen and it'll stay there for the rest of your playthrough. So you'll just like paint some kind of like goat man all crappy looking and then he just has to like live like that forever until he's dead uh it's it's a very zelda light which I, I i totally dig um it's on steam and playstation right now watch some videos of it first and get an idea of it uh because uh it's you you might not be in love with it but i i think it's i think it's pretty cool and i'm i'm excited to finish it apparently it's only like 10 hours long uh i also started scarlet nexus which i'm about 10 hours in it's awesome um, I haven't really like kind of been hooked by a JRPG in a while, but this one has such, um, it's, it's, it's so much like the combat is so much different than like your typical JRPG. It feels a lot more sort of actiony, a lot more platinum games. Um, the art direction for the sort of overworld and city is, is really, really cool. It, it sort of takes this, um, kind of hand-drawn perspective on uh, sort of like dense Japanese cities, but then puts you in a lot of underground areas. I'm playing as the uh, female character, which you use a lot of sort of like psychokinesis. So you're constantly grabbing stuff around the environment and throwing it at these just like nightmarish, almost from softy uh, bosses and enemies. Um, and you level up pretty quickly and you can just dump all your skill points into like more and more stuff that it really feels a lot more like an action game with the trappings of an RPG than like the other way around, which is probably why I'm so hooked on it. Cause it's, it's less like, you know, here's long story sequences. Here's a lot of like kind of grindy stuff. It's, it's very quick moving. And apparently you can finish the whole game in like 20 hours. Uh, if you just kind of mainline through it, I'll probably do a lot of the side stuff too, but yeah, I'm really happy to be like just into a JRPG again. It's been a minute. So nice. yeah, definitely yeah. check that one out. I, I have it downloaded and ready to go, and I just haven't had time to jump in before this episode. But yeah, I, I definitely want to jump into that one. Uh, Max, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? I finished Ratchet and Clank. Um, nice. It definitely is. It's harder to play games with the new baby around, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I beat it. I really, I really love that game. Um, I have basically no attachment to that universe of those characters, um, but it still remains like one of the best looking uh, graphically things I've ever played. Uh, and I really... Uh, Luce, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, it feels so good to play. And I think that's something Insomniac is just really phenomenal at, is just yeah. absolutely nailing the moment-to-moment -moment sensation of, of playing the game, regardless of what you're doing in the game or, like... And obviously, you know, you can't just phone that part in either, but, like, every weapon in that feels different enough and, and it's totally fun in, in its own way. It, it kind of has this, like, Nerf gun sensibility to it. And it, it it's, it's very toyetic in a way I really enjoyed. And I just... I had such a good time running around in that, in that world. I'm, I'm just really, I'm really happy that that studio is still doing what they do. And I mean, I'm dying to play whatever they do next with Spider-Man or whatever else they have in store, but like, it's just such a, such a treat. Um, aside from that, I have been, uh, playing Wolfenstein two, which I never got around to when it first came out, but I'm dying to see what, like what machine games is going to do with Indiana Jones down the road. Not that we'll be able to play that on the PlayStation or anything, but you know, still thought I'd check out um, Wolfenstein and just you know. Uh, it's so good though, right? Deatomize some Nazis. It's pretty. It's, so it's good. Yeah. Speaking of weapons that feel good, uh, and I think I might also dip into some older Far Cry games. I just I feel like I really Far Cry Six has got my attention, and I want to I want to kind of you know just get go get that get in there, mess around. I got I got the um the first two 
uh, for dirt cheap. They were on sale, and I was like, yeah, well, why not? I'll, you know, I, I never played the first one, mm -hmm. uh, so I'll give that. a I'm shot. I'm playing the first yeah. one too, because yeah. uh, they I bought a, I rebought like the first five of them or four of them or something, three and a half, um, and played through three. And yeah, we I was I was planning on doing a whole block on Far Cry last week. Which I forgot to add to the show this week, but this <laughs> this week was packed with news anyway. But yeah, we should definitely get into that, Max, because I know we both really love Far Cry yeah. games. I, I yeah. desperately want to play more Far Cry Three because that's like one of my favorite games ever. And I, but I've already, I think okay. I've, I think I've like started that game maybe three times and played through it like one and three quarters times, and it's just like I, I don't, I could, I could check out a different one. You know, I could play something, mm -hmm. something. I've only played once. For sure. We can uh, definitely do a Far Cry block with you guys soon. Uh, cool. Ahead of six. But yeah. Um, yeah, moving on from there, I've been playing a bit of Chicory. I'm kind of taking it like it's divided, I think, into 10 chapters. I've been doing like a chapter a night just as like a uh, a cool down since it's such a relatively uh, quiet game other than a few moments. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to you, Brian. I don't want to spoil them, but I think you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I'm, I really there are intense. There are intense things that happened that I was like, yeah. oh, that's... Yeah, there are shockingly intense uh, <laughs> that definitely feel evocative of some other indie games, but I don't want to spoil too much. But uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it as a, like... I, I don't consider myself, like, an artist at all. I, I feel like I have terrible, like, artistic instincts. But I've, I've liked that the game hasn't prohibited me from feeling like I can still indulge in the painting side of it. And yeah, I kind of, like... It's one of the few games recently where I've just, like... I've taken to painting like screen by screen because it's very like old zelda-esque as you were saying zelda light like screen by screen uh like the original um it's I, i'll just take the time to paint it in and think of like oh i kind of want this side to be that color block and then make the trees this detail and whatnot and you just kind of like do it and it's it's not for an achievement or a trophy and not to complete the game i'm just doing it to do it and it's like you said, adult coloring book, kind of in a nice, soothing way like that. It's Ooh, cathartic. sexy. Yeah, adult coloring book uh, with no adult themes. Uh, actually, it gets, it gets pretty heavy. Pretty, I'm pretty sure my parents said one of those when I was growing up. <laughs> I will make the breast pink. Oh, that, that wasn't a marker. Was... <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I've been playing that. Uh, there, there is, as far as I know, no nudity in Chicory. Uh, but I've been enjoying Chicory quite a bit. Uh, and yeah, I've just been playing that. I haven't really been playing too many games because I've been very busy just unpacking or not, as you can see from my background. Um, but other than that, I did want to, before we wrap up, just give a quick memory card story. Memory card, of course, is our weekly segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your favorite weird, wacky, happy, sad, whatever memories of your PlayStation gaming life, and we read them on the show. Uh, this week's comes in from Shay. Uh, Shay wrote in with a Easter Sunday tale uh, from Easter Sunday back in the year 2000. Uh, and Shay wrote, my folks did the usual breakfast and Easter baskets that they had uh, given us usually with candy and cheap toys or knickknacks. But we also had an egg hunt sprung on all four of us kids by surprise. We had those little plastic eggs you put candy or money in and uh, hide instead of real eggs because that leads to problems. Uh, my parents decided to place those all around the backyard, front yard and inside the house, all hidden very well. Uh, in each egg, there was a small piece of paper. Upon each paper was written a singular letter. There were 20 pieces in total once all were found. We spent what felt like an eternity not only hunting down those damn eggs, but also deciphering some form of uh, or word jumble with my siblings. At only eight years old and the youngest, I wasn't much help, but apparently I helped the best I could. Uh, when all was said and done, the pieces of paper laid out and read PlayStation and Tony Hawk. And the moment that was solved from behind my couch... Uh, my dad pulls out a brand new PlayStation 1 and a copy of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. 
We were all so excited and we played together as happy siblings and ate Easter candy all day. Uh, pretty amazing. sure, pretty sure that's amazing. Money and what, like, snagged Metal Gear as well. Yeah. Yeah. What a like a perfect day as oh, a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a scavenger hunt that ends in a video game because normally that would have just ended in some candy, but it ended in candy and a PlayStation. And he, I would say I've said this for the Easter Bunny though. He doesn't he's, usually do that kind of stuff. Easter yeah, Bunny is one of my favorite Metal Gear bosses though. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's normally a bit of a cheapskate. So uh, congrats to you, Shay, uh, on a great Easter haul uh, two decades ago now, Jesus. Um, but thank you for writing in with that story. And if you want to write in with the memory card story, you can write into beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll read them on the show. Uh, but that's about it for this week's episode of Podcast Beyond. Uh, before we go, you can find me at JM Dornbush on Twitter. You can find Brian at Agent Bizzle, Lucy at Luce O'Brien, and Matt, not Matt, Max at Max Scoville. Uh, before Mike at Mike Scoville. I don't know who that is. Uh, I did want to just shout out, uh, Lucy, we just published a piece uh, about sort of the legacy of the PlayStation Vita uh, that you can go read on IGN. I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but... Uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it, exactly. It's just, it's it's a really interesting read about how the, the Vita was basically this c- big commercial failure and then turned into kind of like a machine for innovation um and it's yeah it's really fascinating because it could have just sort of gone into nothingness and instead it's got this great legacy of like being yeah a game where you can play the best indies uh it's a really good read yeah uh so definitely go check that out uh max anything you want to plug yes um this video i spent a very long time working on finally went up we uh we launched a new series called kit bash creatures uh the first two episodes uh, we're sponsored by Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance, and they had me making custom monsters based on the monsters in that game. Um, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. Uh, obviously, the, the game could have had a better reception, but you can't deny that it's got some cool critters in it. So I'm glad I got to make some of those. Uh, and go check that out. It's it's very cool. And also, um, the beginning of every month, I put up the uh, biggest streaming... Wait. Biggest game releases <laughs> and the bi- reviews and review from the last month, which is all the games and all the reviews in one. And way too many games came out in June, and I spent way too long on that video. I think that recorded for like 48 minutes or something stupid Jesus. like that. And I didn't even do the biggest streaming releases. Akeem took care of that for me. So if you want to find out what's happening in July or what already happened in June, go check all those out, please. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome. Brian, anything you want to plug? I'm shooting a big thing today that I can't talk about yet, which will be cool, I think, for people who... Are- are interested in video games, but also uh, there's a couple things that went up right during E3 that kind of just, uh, you know, got trampled by E3. One, I did a Let's Play of Chivalry 2 with Max in full costume, which is fun. You should go check that out. And also I um, built a custom MLB The Show baseball stadium with uh, rapper, singer T-Pain. So that was weird. But yeah, go check those out. They're both really funny videos. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, you can catch us normally every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific on beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN games and your favorite podcast services around the world. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me this week. And thank you to Tayo, our producer, for making the show happen. And thank you to everyone listening and watching. We hope you're safe and we hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Cowabunga. Beyond. Beyond. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.